The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawkbox. Welcome to the program. Falling yields weighing on Wall Street as U.S. stocks close in the red, while all three major indices are on track to break a two-month winning streak. The bond market flashes another recession warning as the 10-year yield falls to its lowest level against the two-year rate since before the financial crisis. And Italian bond yields make a fresh three-year low after a roller coaster day of coalition talks between PD and Star end on a constructive note, but sticking points remain ahead of a crucial deadline later today. And in corporate news, BP shedding its Alaskan assets for $5.6 billion, pulling out of the state after 60 years as the oil major seeks to boost its balance sheet. I love the scribes, the people in my position who have to write this stuff down every night. And they have to say why the move market moved up and why the market moved down. And quite often, most of the time, they're talking about the trade tensions, aren't they? They're not talking about data. They're not talking about uh, the global positioning on trade. They're talking about the Trump tweets very often as well. And I'm fascinated. Do any of you look really out there? And you're, you're a loyal bunch out there. Do any of you really actually trade on the back of a Trump tweet? Do you see a Trump tweet and go, buy? Or do you see a Trump tweet and say, sell? Or is it just the machine? picking up the words uh, via their algos. I'm absolutely fascinated because if you had tried to trade this on the back of what Mr. Trump said was going on the trade war over the last four days, mighty confusing, one would say. And that's not political. That's not Trump bashing. I'm just saying mighty confusion, given what we've seen on the upside and the downside from the US president and indeed what the Chinese response has been uh, over that period as well. But anyway, here we are. We are down three out of the last four sessions, I understand. The S&P index down 0.3 of 1%. The Dow down 0.47 In fact, I've got the month to date numbers for you. Do you want them? Yes, you do. Yes, of course you do. Uh, down 4% for the Dow, 3.7% uh, for the S&P, and the Nasdaq down 4.3%. Would you like to look at the Treasuries? I think you would as well. So let's move on uh, and take a look at the Treasury yields. I suppose you want to look at the 2 versus the 10-year, don't you? So the mighty inversion of 1.522% on the 2-year. Uh, the 10-year trading at 1.486%. Here, here's an interesting thing. Or take an aside, because I know director wants me just to ad-lib a bit more. Um, the 10-year the, 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 the yield back on November the 8th, and Jeff might be interested in some of this data, back in November, the 10-year yield, do you remember it? Yeah, you do. It was 3.24%. Wowzers, I hear you saying. Look at this. And this is, is actually moderately important, so just bear with me. 3.24% as opposed to 1.486 now, right? That is the, and I can show you just the, the two and 10 year up here as well. So you have a massive decline in the yield from 3.24 down to 1.48, yeah? So what I thought I'd do is just do a quick extrapolation, this isn't very scientific, of looking at some of the data and how that's changed as we've seen this enormous decline in the yield, this enormous rally in the 10-year. And I think it's quite enlightening as well. So what do you think the unemployment rate has done since November last year compared with now? Yeah, you know the answer to this one. It's, it's virtually the same. 
give or take the decimals, it's 3.7%. So unemployment is exactly the same. What about the GDP figure? What do you think about the third quarter or the annualized third quarter kind of levels we were at compared with where we are now? In fact, let's even take the fourth quarter because November was fourth quarter, isn't it? Yeah, it's virtually the same. It was around about 2.2% in the fourth quarter last year, annualized, and it's now seen at 2% this week as opposed to 2.1%. So GDP, give or take a decimal, virtually the same. Unemployment, virtually the same. Inflation has come off, uh, again, below the mandate. It's come off from around about uh, 1.9% we saw uh, on an average last year down to around about 1.8% now. I beg your pardon, 2.2 to 1.8. So we have seen a decline, but again, just a couple of decimals away from that 2% target figure. So inflation is less, but there are thereabouts. Unemployment's exactly the same as well. Uh, and, and of course, the GDP, very similar as well. But I know the headwinds are looking quite negative, so I'm not ignorant to that. But I just think it's interesting. The actual data reported is incredibly similar, despite the fact the yield has moved so aggressively. Anyway, they've got some more stuff for us as well, including the uh, sterling dollar. Well, I can say many things about the G7 I've just come back from. But one thing is that Boris Johnson didn't make a fool of himself. And I know that sounds a silly thing to say, but quite frankly, there have been many times when the pundits and the commentators back home have said, gosh, Boris Johnson's put his foot in it. In fact, I think quite the opposite. He proved, actually, that he's not a bad diplomat in many ways. It's just a question of where you feel on his politics and some of this stuff. Uh, Euro dollar trading 110.86. Uh, dollar yuan, I know you want to see this one, is 7.1568. So very interesting to see the dollar strength versus yuan uh, continuing. A couple more quick charts for you as well as uh, gold continues to prove a safe Haven trading $1535 per troy ounce. Uh, a bit of strength in uh, Brent at 60 bucks and light sweet crude at 55.47. Asian indices look like this. Uh, 33 points up for the Nikkei and 0.33 of 1% down for the Shanghai Composite. So very calm markets. Kospi seeing a bit of strength, uh, the best performing out of these four markets. And the opening calls for European indices... Uh, down 24 points on the first year. Really, no, very little change at the moment now. Jeffrey, good morning to you. It's been a long while since we've sat together. Yes, Apart from been. drinking at cricket. Yeah, <laughs> apart from that. Thank you, by the way. I very much enjoyed that. Oh, day. don't be silly. It was a um, pleasure. But what a, what a fascinating cocktail that the uh, investment community are having to deal with. And what's, what's really interesting to me, and as we bring David Neuhauser into this conversation, Managing Director of Livermore Partners, very good morning to you, David. What I want to talk about very briefly here is the world that is implied by the close on that spread between 30-year and three-month Treasury bills. Because it suggests that if the price of money is pretty much the same at 30-year as it is at three-month, there's an awful lot of recession slash disinflation now baked into investors' mindsets. And we can talk about liability matching in the pension industry, and we we can talk about um, fears of recession driving people into uh, owning paper further out on the curve. But but this is very strange behaviour in a market where we still have US growth rocking along at something around the 2% mark. How do you rationalise it as you think about your investments? Yeah, so it's hard to rationalize it because as an investor, you're seeing on one hand, you're seeing uh, a flight to quality and, and bonds seeing a, a bunch of negative spreads. At the same time, for the most part, equities are, have been a bit uh, buoyant. So markets are still up this year in the U.S. and globally around the world. You're still seeing, you know, where's the safest bet for, for money? So initially, it's, it's on obviously the credit side. 
but you're you're not seeing sort of that uh, that trade off in terms of equities too. So so the market is signaling the potential for a recession, but at the same time, it's not a certainty. So it's extremely difficult to invest in this time frame. I mean, the fact that we've got the three-month bill sitting somewhere just short of 2% at the moment also raises some questions around the way the market is viewing the Federal Reserve Mm -hmm. and its reaction function to any weakness in data at this point. Again, do you think that the market has judged Jay Powell correctly and that the three-month bill at 1.95% is the right price. Yeah, so today I would say uh, the, the market is getting ahead of the curve, so to speak. So the view is that the Fed has only so many bullets uh, left at this point. And are they going to do enough to prevent down the line a further recession, further weakening? So the, the market, as you're saying, with the three months and the 10 year, that's what it's telling you. It's forward looking. So it's saying the Fed isn't doing enough. And therefore, instead of monetary policy, you need to see more fiscal policy to stimulate growth. And I think for the most part, equity investors are looking at that potential and they're just, you know, viewed based on past years, they've seen this, uh, you know, every time we've hit a recession, you've seen the Fed obviously go into reverse and start cutting rates. If you remember, it wasn't more than uh, nine, 10 months ago that the Fed was actually raising rates. So they've been very reactionary. We've been saying that. And now they've gone into reverse a bit. But they haven't also signaled strong, strong easing. So at the same time, the market's kind of in a, in a dislocated market. Uh, there's some great comments from Dudley, which we'll come to those later on as well, which I think is absolutely intriguing debate. But you made the point about the market kind of saying, yeah, we, we think there's potential recession risk as well. But does that mean you buy or sell equities? Because the market uh, petitioners, uh, a, be- a pessimist and a bull, can both look at the same data and say, yeah, I agree. Market looks pretty bad uh, in terms of the economy. Um, there's no value to be had potentially in the bond market. So do I buy or sell equities? And this is a really tricky thing, isn't it? Because the yield on the S&P 500 is still 2.5%. No, that's exactly uh, right, Steve. So that's the issue. So, you know, Livermore, we're invested in special situations, opportunistic. Mm. You know, we've had a position in gold now for over a year, done really well. But, you know, mainly we do invest in equities. And it's been extremely challenging, especially very recently, because we tend to invest in some smaller cap names that we think there's value to. And at times we'll look to hedge or look at situations which are larger to short uh, situations. So what I noticed this past week, which is really odd, is some of the sort of larger cap names, as you point out, that might have yield, but and even strong earnings today are actually holding up quite well. And some of those smaller cap names that we would invest in are just coming for sale extremely uh, hard. Mm. So I don't know. That's good news though, yeah? It's a good news if you could look past this and see that there's true value you've been waiting for. it, But in the short run, it does not feel good. Um, in terms of that correlation, just very briefly, the last one from me on this one, the correlation of the markets, people talk about the correlation of individual stocks compared with the broader index. Where are we standing on that at the moment? I mean, is the market very correlated across the board? Everything's buying and selling at the same, uh, in the same moment? Or actually, are you managing to find that the markets are finding their own room and their own buy and sell stories? For, for the most part, they're finding their own stories. But like I said, just recently yeah, in, in okay. August, as everything's kind of starting to go uh, more black, you're starting to see uh, more pressure on some of those smaller names. So to me, there's opportunity because a lot of those smaller names 
have real value, real upside. And some of those larger, more dynamic names, they might have had strong earnings over the past number of years, and they still might look like they have strong earnings. But as you go forward, the question is, uh, what is the earnings setup like? So should you own equities today? I think it's really hard to judge. You have to look at it situation by situation. All right. Did, uh, talking of uh, buyouts, one that was close to my heart, and I'm sure will be close to yours, Green King. Did you see yes. that? Lee Ka-shing. Yes. Green yes. King. I, I give up a little bit on this sector because one minute the brewers are consolidating themselves. Yeah. One minute they're buying pubs, one minute they're selling pubs, then they're selling out to the larger players as well. It's a very kind of fluid sector, so to speak. If you but but say to David's point, I mean, the valuations are extraordinary in terms of the UK opportunity now to take out some of these mid and small cap names. I mean, the, the premium was 50% on that deal. Wow. wow. But then, you know, when you look at where sterling is, if you are a dollar-based investor buying into the UK, maybe it doesn't look so crazy. Right, I think we've got to move on uh, very briefly. Um, but just to say, um, just to give a bit of uh, credibility to what uh, David's been saying as well, they, you're up 40% in the second quarter, weren't you? That's pretty impressive. Yeah, second quarter was excellent. Uh, again, some of those special situations worked out really well. But it's a little bit tougher this month. Third quarter's beginning to be a challenge. Uh, uh, and, and You've got a bit of money to give back, don't worry. You, you're up 78% year-to-date by the second quarter, so... Uh, Maybe give back a bit in the third quarter. Yeah, that's okay. Over time, decent, that's fine. All right, okay, thank you for that. Uh, stock dividends are yielding more than the 30-year Treasury for the first time in a decade. I said that, didn't I, really? Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, head online to find out why analysts are now backing the outlook for equities over bonds. What's coming up, Jeffrey? Uh, well, Rome wasn't built in a day, Steve. You know that. <laughs> uh, but Italy's five-star and PD have less than 24 hours to find a coalition agreement. We'll have details on that story and we'll take you out to Italy after the break. And if you can't get enough Jeff Cutmore, be sure to tune in to his very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's too modest to call it Jeff's podcast, but it's called Squawk Box. You can find it on there. CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshan, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back, everybody. UK opposition parties have agreed to try and pass new legislation that would force Prime Minister Boris Johnson to pursue a Brexit delay if he fails to secure a deal with the EU. Cross-party talks convened by Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn also ended with MPs agreeing to put on hold a no-confidence vote. The pound hit a one-month high against the dollar and the euro 
following that meeting. Meanwhile, the European Commission President, Jean-Claude Juncker, has told Boris Johnson the bloc is open to hearing his alternative proposals to the Irish backstop, provided they are compatible with the withdrawal agreement. In a telephone conversation, Johnson repeated the UK is ready to leave the bloc, whatever the circumstances, on October the 31st. The fate of coalition talks between Italy's Five Star and PD hangs in the balance ahead of today's deadline to find an agreement. A tumultuous day of discussions teetered on the brink of collapse as both parties haggled over key cabinet jobs and the role of the Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte. Five Star wants to keep him, whilst the PD is opposed to his reappointment. However, Italian 10-year bond yields hit a fresh three-year low after... Why should anyone be surprised at that? It's amazing, isn't it? They, they go lower because every time things get bad, someone buys them, and that's the central bank, isn't it? Anyway, uh, three-year low after Tuesday's talks appeared to end on a positive note. No, that's not right, though, is it? If you think about it, guys, if, 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 if we had positive notes out of Italy, surely the yield would pick up a little bit because you'd need less central bank buying. Isn't this less worse notes? I mean, my, my sense is that it's the Italian um, uh, banks themselves that are buying it. Yes, they are. Perhaps well, less so than the, um, the central bank. Right, but, uh, yes. We're back in the doom loop, Yes, we, we are. We're, Did we're anybody much... think the doom loop ever went away? I, I, don't, I don't know. know. We'll come back to this. Maybe I'll stay a bit later on. Anyway, both sides saying progress had been made. Now, look, Germana, who joins us from Rome, we're talking about both sides. We're making it very 2D as well. But I seem to remember a little matter early in the year of the European parliamentary elections. And it wasn't the five star that stormed to victory there as far as Italy was concerned. And it wasn't the PD, which had still been licking their wounds uh, after years of failing to find a way through for the middle in Italy as well. It was Salvini. It was Lega that did pretty well there. And people expected him to launch a campaign to have government on his own as well. So despite the fact that these two parties are trying to form a government, surely Salvini licking his lips, sharpening his teeth in the wings. That's what they should worry about. You know, it's an extremely valid point, Steve. And actually, one of the first things I saw when I got to Rome yesterday was a small group of Lega supporters standing out Parliament holding up a sign saying, we want elections now. So definitely his base are getting a bit roiled up about the action that is taking place, those coalition talks taking place between PD and Five Star. But what I would say to you is let's just take it back to 15 months ago because, yes, things have changed a lot over the last year and a half. But at the end of the day, it's still Five Star who have the most seats in Parliament, both in the Chamber and in the Senate. So they're still, for now, in the driving seat when it comes to parliamentary composition and in terms of the power they could have in putting together legislation in this next Parliament. And actually, that's a key point here. And one of the motivations for Five Star for wanting to get a coalition government together, because if you think about it, if a snap election is called, and given how much Five Star has dropped back in the elections uh, a year and a half ago, they were around 33% of the total votes. Now, latest polls put them at around 18%. That means that they would be completely swept out of the way in favor of Lega and also PD party as well. So many MP and five, five star lawmakers will look at that and say, well, it's not in their incentive to hold another election, which has been the major motivation for them to start these talks with PD. Now, the latest sticking point, as you mentioned, was the question about whether or not who would lead this coalition government of sorts. And the name that Five Star had put forward was the acting Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Conte. Initially, that was met with some resistance by PD lawmakers. They wanted to see someone else. And actually, the name that they had proposed was 
even Roberto Fico, uh, who is also one of the five-star lawmakers, uh, but uh, there's a little bit of internal rivalry going on there between Luigi De Maio and Roberto Fico. So in the end, it looks like both sides have actually agreed to reinstate Giuseppe Conti. And no doubt the U.S. president, President Trump, will be happy about that. He was tweeting that things are looking good for his friend Giuseppe yesterday. Uh, and of course, Steve, as you know, uh, the two of them did indeed have a bonding session of the G7 summit in the last couple of days. But that aside, so so if we're looking at the Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte, what do PD get in return? And this is where some of the horse trading is going to be important. And uh, what my sources tell me is that PD are pushing for some key roles, particularly that of the Italian EU commissioner. Very important time when it comes to the budget and negotiations between Italy and Brussels. So that's one of the names where we could see a PD representation. Also, one of the names that's being putting a, put around for finance minister is Giancarlo Paduan. Remember, he was the finance minister in the previous PD government. So that could potentially be a potential a market positive uh, if he returns to that position as well. And then also uh, we are hearing uh, that uh, Paolo Gentiloni, who's the president of PD, uh, could also be one of the names in the mix returning back to government. So all of those names that could be perceived to be a little bit more market friendly when it comes to the approach of dealing with Europe. But the bigger question about PD and Five Star is how much longevity is this government really going to have? And they're very unlikely bedfellows. They've exchanged very harsh words against one another over the years. But then there was a big about face uh, from PD party, especially from former PD leader uh, Matteo Renzi, who said, look, now is the time for us to consider going into a coalition with Five Star. We've got to stop Salvini uh, from uh, taking over and from having these snap elections, especially coming at a time when the finances are in such a precarious situation as we head into that October budget deadline. Very nice. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed for that. Jumana Bassetti joining us on the Italy story as well. Um, David, there's a certain amount of cynicism around this, guest, and you must try and break that because Jeffrey and I are a little bit of an echo chamber, echo chamber, echo chamber uh, about this kind of stuff. We, um, and, and dare I say, I have, I have a lot of respect for Mr. Paduan, and we've spoken to him a lot over the last couple of years. And I spoke to him very recently, actually, in the spring um, in Ambrosetti. And, and I've got a lot of respect for Mr. Gentiloni as well. But they did preside over a time when Italy remained in deep, deep trouble and didn't actually find a mechanism for getting Europe, to, or certainly Italy, to a great growth trajectory. So should the market be relaxed and happy when they see these names being mentioned again? No, I, I think people tend to look back and they see, uh, you know, what's worked and what hasn't worked. So they, they get a bit of, um, how do I put it? I think they they feel good with what they know. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of it. That That's really all I think that's going on here. Okay, I'll move on from this because it's not your specialist area. Uh, you've got a word on the US consumer as well. And you've got a really nice chart in your notes as well, just showing that consumer debt levels higher than 2008. What does that mean for you as an investor and where you're looking? Yeah, so the way I, at least I'm looking at it for Livermore is, you know, we've think you've seen this 10-year expansionary phase uh, happen. A lot of it was juiced by uh, lower interest rates, which we're still seeing today. And the question is, that should allow again, you know, under the radar type situations where we invest then on the long side to to come out. Um, but at the same time, you know, we think there's tremendous headwinds. So the consumer has been very strong. So I think that's part of the reason why you're saying. Today, what's what's the issue? Equity markets, for the most part, are buoyant. Markets are up this year, uh, and yet that spread, you know, two ten spread, is reflecting recession. So usually, what's occurring is that's going to be, uh, you know, they're going to look at that for, on a forward basis. So our view is that the consumer has been holding up extremely well. Yeah. But the moment you start to see lower capex, the moment you start to see um, 
unemployment start to at least flatten or start to head higher, you're going to see a pullback in the consumer. So at the, at the end of the day, the consumer slows and thus creates a, a recession. David, can I talk to you about stocks then? Um, just for the benefit of those who are going to listen into the podcast again, you're very much focused on opportunistic, event-driven opportunities in stocks. Share with us uh, some ideas about what you're trying to add to the portfolio right now. Yeah, so you know, over the past number of years, Livermore has been involved in another a number of situations in special sits. Uh, we have a company here in London, which we IPO'd last year, Jadestone Energy, uh, which actually reported earnings last uh, last uh, night. Uh, that stock's trading at like three times cash flow, has you know positive uh, balance sheet. We like situations like that. You have to tend to invest in things like Jadestone at times when no one wants to own them, when oil was lower. Today, it's a it's a much more difficult environment because you you really don't know where you're going at this point. You know, you see uh, inversion on yield curves. You see federal banks uh, pulling out all stops in term, terms of monetary policy. But at the same time, you have this sort of war of the worlds going on globally. And that's the issue is, is the macro uh, too strong? And eventually um, equities start to bow. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.